Welcome to Talking Events, the event industry podcast brought to you by Event Industry News. Um, podcast is being recorded from the ticket script offices um, in the heart of London's um, Silicon Roundabout district, uh, I think they call it. Um, and we should say a big thanks to the guys at Ticket Script for allowing us to, to set up and record these episodes from their offices. Um, we're going to be talking about startups today. Um, we're welcoming back to the podcast uh, Mr. James Morgan from Event Tech Lab. James, <coughs> welcome back to Talking Events. Um, Jason Allen Scott from Venue Me. Jason, welcome along. Thank you. Uh, Jared Bishop from Event Pro Finder. Jared, welcome to Talking Events. Thank you. Um, let's start, let's look at the, the prospect of being a startup in the event industry now. There's, there's been a, a big boom in loads of, loads of companies and loads of offerings coming to the event marketplace in the last few years. Um, Jared, we, we may as well start with you. You, you. You've got a very recent experience of being an event startup. Um, is it daunting even contemplating it in the first instance and whether or not you should actually push ahead with it? I think it is daunting, um, but before anyone starts, um, People need to have the why uh, before they start. Um, I think it's always good having an idea, and and an idea is a diamond dozen. People people have loads of ideas, but at the end of the day, it's the execution that um, defines us. Um, speaking from my own experience, uh, Event Pro Finder uh, has been an excellent journey for me to learn about businesses in general. Um, but it's also been pretty scary. The first time I started it, I linked up with a bunch of de developers that weren't that great. Um, I didn't know that I wasn't in tech. Uh, I'm, I'm an events man. I'm, I've been based in events labor for pretty much 12 years of uh, the time I've been in events. Um, so, so the first time I tried it, it didn't work, but I learned a hell of a lot from it um, and then excuse me and then I started again uh, beginning of last year um, built a really decent team around me uh, I have uh, sort of my CTO based in South Africa I have my designers and my bloggers in in uh, South Africa which is great I don't know if anyone knows the 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 rant to pound at the moment it just makes <laughs> things a lot easier um, and then, and then I have sort of coders in China, and I'll, now with that, it brings some challenges. But, uh, but, uh, but yes, it's been it's been it's been tough. It's been really tough. From, from having your idea, before we move on and bring Jason and James in, into the conversation, from having your actual initial idea, which sounds like it was born out of actual experience. Yes. Um, how long from having that idea to actually making that decision? Right, I'm going to do it. Was it quick? Was it a prolonged process? It was almost instantaneous. Um, it was a lot of your, your cliched light bulb m moment. Um, just to give you a bit of background about Event Profinder, it is a, an event freelance marketplace. Now there are uh, freelance marketplaces out there. There are, there's freelance.co.uk, there's Upworks, which is the biggest freelance marketplace in the world. Uh, so I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel yet, but uh, to answer your question, um, as soon as as soon as I thought about it, I I instantly pick, picked up the phone and phoned um, phoned a mate, and it 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 was a guy who who had actually been made redundant at the time, uh, and he was he, he had worked for a company for many years, and he wanted to go freelance, and he was really struggling, 
And uh, so what I tried to do is create something that would help him. Right. And from that, the idea just grew and grew and grew as I did more research and, and uh, so on. Let's bring Jason and, and, and James Morgan into, into the conversation here. Jason, from having the initial idea for, for Venue Me, how quickly was that as a process? And, and how, again, I asked that question, how daunting was it to, to, to think, right, should I pursue this idea? I think there's two questions there. One, is it daunting to have a startup in the events world? No, because the biggest problem with any startup is entry to market. And the entry to the events market is probably the easiest market in the world. It's not qualified, it's not unioned, it's not registered, it's a cowboy industry. So all I do is I phone six of my friends and I say, hey, you got any events coming up? Give me a call, I'll sort you out. Boom. Tech. Now, tech is a whole different industry. I had the idea of Venue Me, similar thing. I had the people, I was going to venues and I was showing them how to sell. I was going to venues and explaining concepts and, and, and how things work and I did incredibly well. I'm very thankful for that, for the teams I worked with. But when it came down to it, no one wants to do cold calling and no one wanted to do all these things I was trying to come up with. So the idea of Venue Me and something where it showed them who was looking in real time that they could call and it would be a warm call versus a cold call, that was really easy. And, and I would say I had the eureka moment, but I've been doing startups since I was 15 years old and I, I didn't want to do another one, to be completely honest. And getting into the tech world, I found incredibly hard because there are, there are these so many opportunities to do it. China, Paraguay, South Africa. I've just come back from San Francisco talking to a different tech provider in every aspect of my tech from you know user interface to what the app will look like to what the, the web interface will look like to the types of language that'll be used. And I, I found that to be incredible. It's, it's been a, a real, like you said, a real learning for me, which I'm loving because I didn't, I, I was, I was feeling I was doing what a lot of people do. You, you do what you do well and you just keep doing it and you try and avoid what you don't do well. We're now in, in the startup, in the event tech side, I'm messing up pretty much daily, but I'm, I'm loving it. I'm learning so much. And I'm speaking to venues again with fresh ears and, and finding out things that they need to be added to the app and added to the technology. And, and because of that, it's getting more and more exciting to build. James, w having had experience of dealing with, with not just your own, but lots of other startups and working with a lot of the companies that have come into the industry, it, do some of them make the mistake of not accepting, as Jason pointed out, what they're not very good at? Do they come to the, do, do, do some of them actually fail because they've come to the market and they've, they've created this startup and think that they've got a brilliant idea and they're not actually willing to listen to other people's input? How important is that? There's a, <coughs> there's a difference between uh, the people that are leading the startups and some of those people come from the event industry, so they're very sensitive to the needs and the nuances of the industry. And then you get people that think, hey, this is a great idea, I'm going to do this bit of tech, but they have no idea of how the industry works. Mm -hmm. And I think um, um, it's, 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 it can be daunting for both parties, but on the other hand, it's also a journey of self-discovery. It's also a journey of, what you're good at, what you can go get good at, and, and how you take on board, especially from event professional point of view, of understanding the tech industry, understanding the jog and the process. Mm -hmm. It's a real self-development process as mm -hmm. well. So it, th from that point of view, can be very rewarding. Um, for people from the tech business that decide to do an event tech product, um, 
they don't get that kind of reward, they also quite often don't understand the industry as well. So that can be problematic, and that you see startups, funerals for startups uh, mm. happening all the time. If there's an underlying tone of skepticism in what I'm asking and how I'm questioning startups, is it because that's a cultural thing? Is it inherently British for us to be a little bit standoffish? Whereas if we were hosting this podcast in another country, perhaps oh. we wouldn't even be looking at this as a topic. We'd be like, yeah, come on, startup, let's let's get going. Absolutely. I mean, I just left the Silicone um, Silicon Alley, which is just behind Venice Beach in LA. And there, everyone has a startup. You know, you meet a DJ at a nightclub and they've got a startup on the side and it's tech-based and, and everyone's applauding it and everyone's excited and you meet a, a model and a waitress and she's a, a, a model's backslash waitress backslash actress backslash tech startup. But no <laughs> one's put poo-pooing it. Whereas in the UK, we're maybe a little bit tougher. Maybe we're a little bit more protective of our industries. Maybe we're, maybe we're just sort of, I don't know, a little bit calmer, a little bit less... Sure. I've got, to, I've got to disagree with that because I think that, um, you know, t just from the history of, 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 of this island, uh, I'm from colonial stock. You know, we, we went out from a, a long, long time ago as entrepreneurs to discover the world and start up something. And I think that inherently we have a heritage of that. And um, I also think that um, in terms of what's happening in London, and particularly in terms of tech and around the other cities in the UK, you do see all that innovation taking place. And I don't think you just need to say that startups are about tech, because there's all sorts of other startups going on as well. Sure, yeah. Somebody's starting yeah. a sandwich company or whatever, you mm -hmm. know. Indeed, we're, we're talking about any business, really, yeah. aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I know we're focusing on tech today because we're all tech startups and the Event Tech Lab yeah. helps tech startups. But um, I, I, I do think that, you know, this is a country of innovation and we lead in so many different ways. And yeah, startups might be daunting, but it's self-development. But uh, actually, if I can sort of jump, sure, in, yeah, yeah. jump in very quickly, um, I, will, I will agree with you. Uh, the Brits can, be, can come across yeah. a bit negative sometimes. Uh, I don't know if it's because they like uh, a grumble, um, but, but no, I think if, if you look at the startup community, especially within the events industry, I think we are pretty supportive. Mm. Um, you know, I bumped into this chap in the lobby and, you know, we began chatting and, and instantaneously we, we were talking about our businesses, mm. our, you know, what, what we love. Um, so I think, I think within the events community, we, we are actually quite buoyant. There is a lot of tech that's very much an integral part of a of an event now mm. that, that, that there are certain elements which now I think are getting towards the point where it, th there's no argument you, you essentially need to have that as part of it however <coughs> is there still a danger and I, and I hate to say it but is there still a danger that people have an idea where there's n there's actually no problem a solution without a problem rather than a problem and then finding a solution for it H have certain tech startups been guilty of maybe overcomplicating what wasn't a complicated issue to begin with? In terms of, uh, of the different types of technology you get, so you're looking at production-based technology for events, so that's something like Jared's doing or Jason's doing, and then we get the audience engagement stuff, and then we mm. get the marketing stuff, the registration platforms, sure, yeah. ticket script, yeah. script mm. for example. So if you look at it in the context of those three areas, 
what, what you find is that they do enhance events and enhance the management processes that are taking place. Some people might not find it suitable and they might not want to replace their paper-based Excel sheets or stuff like that. But what these, what these uh, bits of technology do is that they aimed at making working more efficient mm. or in, in the terms of, of, of audience engagement, creating more participation at events and in terms of conferences. I don't know what these guys think, but... I agree, sorry. Uh, I agree. I mean, you know, the three areas that you talked about there, all those three areas are, are like mainly focused at capturing data and then like each component does different things with the data through a clever bit of t uh, tech. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, in the end, in the end, the tech will continue, will continue to be uh, problem-based. So mm -hmm. uh, us finding solutions for problems, you usually find if it goes the other way around, it, it, it doesn't work as well. So, so perhaps if I've been misled to thinking that there are certain companies that I've seen in the past where I think, hold on, that's a solution where there's no problem, perhaps the mistake that's been made or, or perhaps not what's been made clear enough is what that problem is and that's, that's where the, the startup could learn. Well, I think it's funny you just said it and, and both gentlemen eloquently sort of responded to it. Sometimes I'll see something like I was at the Great British Entrepreneur Awards and there was a huge queue outside the venue and we were taking forever and it was ice cold and my wife was wearing a dress and she was freezing and I think oh, I should have brought a coat and we eventually get there and I said, so sorry, what's taken so long? Why, why didn't we get in? And they said, well, we're using a new registration tech to get everyone in the room and we could, it jammed, it just got stuck, it's frozen on screen. And times like that, I think, oh, I miss just having a piece of paper and a pen because no one got stuck. If the pen ran out, they got another pen and they just scratched you off and moved on. But like the two gentlemen so well said, there's probably all this data behind it. Maybe, you know, once it takes it in, it's putting it into a, a system which says they came, and which then generates a thank you letter and, and speeds up people's jobs mm. and puts everything together. And there's so much back end now. That's what's amazing about it. But there are times definitely where I'm the same and I'm just thinking, really? Or we, we can't get a, a mic to work and I'm thinking, what happened to the old day mic? Or someone just got up and screamed across the room? Or yeah, yeah. But the yeah. Loud and, I, and I think yeah. what's important is that if you are a startup, <coughs> just classic marketing is what's the benefit to the buyer? Sure. Mm. You know, how do you articulate mm. that? And some companies are very good at that. Some startups are good at it, but some startups are not very good at it. They sort of tell you about how the tech works, but they don't tell you how it's going to be of benefit to you. Mm. So then you can't say as the buyer, well, my pro that's my problem. Well, this is going to benefit me mm. and solve that problem. And I think that um, in the communications to do with, with startups and how they pitch their products needs to be improved. And that's why the Event Tech Lab's out there to try and help people do that. I, I was going to ask, you know, how often does that actually crop up where, you know, it, what percentage of, of, of new startups that you're interacting with um, actually need help in eloquently putting together and articulating what the problem is therefore that's, this is how their product can work and, and what percentage come to you and have it well put together and don't need that sort of help I'd say it's the 80-20 rule Okay. You know, 80% need some help or on how to articulate their benefits how to get to the, the right segments and how to appeal to the pain points that people feel when they're producing events because Jason uh, uh, just going back to an earlier comment about 
being easy to break into phone some guys that you mm. know in the industry what if you're a startup and you know nobody in the industry you've had an idea you don't you're pretty to. sure there's a problem mm. so uh, how easy is it to actually sell a product that nobody knows about that nobody's ever heard about if you've not part of the industry already i think there's there's the the mistake is in the verbiage how easy to start to do a startup in the events world dead simple because to organize an event you know someone that's going to have an event a wedding a christmas a birthday a bar mitzvah a bat mitzvah it carries on of a technology different world you you're now looking at how most of us 80 for Reto's law we just mentioned a second ago 80 20 um, we look at the, the majority of how we handle that what is the problem and how can we fix it pretty much con totally oppositionary to Steve Jobs's just be creative and if it creates something amazing and if it can make something even better but no one needed a car we needed a foster horse but Henry Ford built a car we didn't need an Apple. We had IBM and they were doing great. There was no need for them, but we did. How hard, how easy to get into the tech and, and then sell it? I, I have no idea. I mean, James would be much better than me. I know I found it a lot easier exactly for the reasons you've said, because I've worked with venues. I'm, I'm in this industry. I'm, I do think it's one of the best industries in the world. I'm one of the biggest spokespeople for its greatness and that we are a great community. We support each other. We help each other. I, I'm enjoying my time as a tech startup in this much more than I did when I try to do, um, I don't know, try to change the funeral industry, you know, and um, the funeral community is very small and they don't want to change things. And the same when I try to do the beauty pageant, which, you know, we sold to a magazine, or when I try to do fruit juice or eco disco with silent disco and bringing that in big, it was very different communities. It, it can be completely harder. It is easier with the events industry. You know, we are more supportive of my feelings. I Would you concur with that, Jared? Have you had experience when you've actually, you know, gone to speak to organisers, for example, and said, "Look, this is what I'm going to be doing." You know, what are your opinions of it? I th I'll absolutely agree with Jason. Uh, the reason why I will agree with Jason is because uh, I haven't launched Event Profinder yet. We are launching Beta Cross Fingers hopefully on Monday. Uh, I know that's going to come and bite me <laughs> in the bum. Um, and I'm quite proud of myself. I said bum, um, but. Yeah, so I will absolutely agree with him because uh, at, at this point in the process, I'm trying to collect as many people interested in testing uh, my, my platform as possible. Uh, I'm, I'm calling them my early adopters and, and, and I'm going to be giving them something if they, if they spend some time with me. I've, sort of did, I've done my research and you know, I'll be monitoring them as they click through and etc, uh, etc. Et um, but the response from that alone, and I'm not just talking about people that I'm friends with on Facebook or that, you know that I'm linked on linked to on LinkedIn, but the general response has has been amazing. It's been fantastic. Uh, uh, is it and supportive industry as a whole, then, James? Well, no. I think it's it's supporting an idea that the industry is sensitive to, and it comes back, you know, full circle to. Do you know the events industry before you decide you're going to do a bit of tech that's going to solve a problem? Or have you just got a great idea but actually you know nothing about the industry and it has no benefit to anybody? Mm. And that's the difference. Mm. With, with, with so many options now available and so, so many startups, and the market has boomed, hasn't it? Mm. The last you know, four or <laughs> five years, so many more companies coming, coming to market with, with a product, with an offering. Mm. Um, how developed are the organisers? Perhaps uh, I, I don't know, James, whether or not you would you'd be able to answer this first of all. But how developed are the organisers in 
keeping abreast of what's happening, keeping up to speed with it, and understanding what it is that's coming to market? Uh, they're not keeping up to speed. It's a rolling wheel. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> I mean, just in terms of some of the people, the big players have been around for years, and the kind of coding language that, 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 that they use within their tech I mean, it's totally out the window now. Um, you know, the, 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 those that, that, that kind of coding, for example, uh, has been superseded like 10 or 20 times. So the code that these guys are using and the code, say, somebody from 15 years ago is using are two completely different things, do two completely different functions or more functions. So, yeah, things are changing on a daily basis. Here's two new startups that just happened. And I know five or six others that are around. And that's not going to stop. So yeah, it's a rolling wheel, and event organizers aren't going to be able to keep up with everything. So what they've got to figure out is what's relevant to their business, where are their pain points, and what kind of technology can I look at to solve those pain points, mm -hmm. rather than trying to look across the entire board of technology that we have out there. What's the contrast that you've experienced, Jason, um, between event organizers who are very, very proactive in keeping abreast of what's developing, how they can utilize it, and what it comes down to is how they can actually deploy it effectively within their event, isn't it? Not maybe so much how much they know about the details of how that actual product works and all the mm. back end of it, but how can I deploy it and make use of it? And that's really what we're wanting them to keep abreast of. And So what's the contrast in your experience between the good and the bad? My experience is, is very different, only because I have a niche. My niche is venues. I'm mm. from a venue event background. I've Even when I was in agencies, I found it very difficult to step outside of the venue world. Um, and venues are the last bastion of holding out. You know, they still have the big diaries. They, they're still calling the same freelancers or the same agencies. And it, it's quite hard to sort of introduce tech to them. And every time I do talk tech, I actually point them to James because I'm, I'm kind of saying, have you seen what he's got? And did you know about this? And have you heard of this? And, and venues are going, well, you know, we're still using the little light in the front and it's all wired and there's black tape on the walls. And you're thinking, wireless came years ago. We're <laughs> really, really <laughs> fighting. I just did a venue recently where it, it took me almost two months to explain why they shouldn't have big old monitors, why they should go, you know, flat screen or why they should be using Apple Mac products. And, and, and it was such a, it's a silly conversation really because, but maybe it is exactly what they said. It's that need. Is there really a need? They don't feel there is. Calls are still coming through. They're still booking event space. They still use the same systems they've always used. The old calendar on the wall, which has got a red line when it's taken or a blue line when it's provisional or, you know, and it's, it's, I'm giving them all these great ideas. And they probably are all amazing ideas, at least I hope so. But the venue's thinking my need is still get rid of a room because it's a perishable good, get as much money as I can out of the room while I get it and make sure everyone leaves safe and speak about it so we can do it again. Is it short-sightedness then? Is it not seeing what this could bring long-term? Oh, the diary's full this year. We don't need to, to bring that stuff in. Is, is there a short-sightedness that ultimately could come back to bite them in three, four, five years' time? Definitely, yeah. but I think the average... Sorry to interrupt, James. I think the, the difference is, is that if you're most event venue owners, including myself as an event venue owner, you, you're thinking, while I have the lease, you know, I'm gonna try it for my two years, my three years, my five, maybe you sign a 99 year lease, but no one's thinking the full 99 years, you're thinking your first two to three, and you just want it to be busy during that period, and whatever it takes to be busy during that period is all you're really hoping about. It's very rare, I, expect, I, I say that as I think of a venue that totally is in diametric response to what I'm about to say, but it's very rare that a venue manager isn't looking down at his face and looking past December. He's looking at this year, this diary, and how full are we? 
Sorry, James, you, you, you were going to answer that as well, yeah, weren't you? Um, I mean, really what you're talking about is adoption mm. yeah. uh, to technology. And I think you also have to segment that as well because you'll see a lot of, if we go to the three areas again, production, audience, engagement, marketing, you'll see a lot of marketing uh, companies li like Ticketstrip, for example, are selling to the organisers that you know everything's going to go through their website, and that's fine. Then you see the audience engagement stuff, and this is where it starts to get a bit more problematic because those those kind of tech companies are going to event organisers and saying this is going to be fantastic at your event and the organiser goes yes it's great and they buy it and then on the day the AV company or the sound company or whatever have no idea what's going on because mm -hmm. they don't know anything about that kind of audience uh, engagement sure. and and I think there's there's a bit of a disconnect there between the old style what I call the hard technology providers yep. and the soft technology providers there isn't much of an interface there so I think we need more education in that area so that the organizers are going to get proper delivery so for example the, the your, your example of the registration system that messed up now if if the, the hardware technology people have been involved in that process could have gone a lot further but they need to understand what's out there as well so just a you know a my mic or crowd mics or mm. catchbox for example they sell to event organizers and the event organizers will say to the AV company how about this and then mm. they go oh I'm I've never dealt with that before I don't know what this is and then that's where we have problems in terms of the production stuff that's again selling to organizers mm. and that's a bit of a smoother process but it's that one in the middle that's uh, so, for, so th that example there is perhaps with tech that is is offering a level of interactivity or mm. something whilst the event's happening that, that needs some level of integration or could have some level of integration with other production elements. Um, when we look at your particular example, Jared, we, we're talking about perhaps something that's going to aid an organiser at an earlier stage than that, aren't we? Yes, absolutely. I mean, like, uh, well, at the moment, my, my business model's still very much B2, B2C. Um, you, you know, it's based around getting experienced free, freelancers on board and creating a trustworthy marketplace so that organizers can come and uh, browse through the list of skills they need, whether it's an AV technician or a chippy or, you know, mm -hmm. a designer, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, so I think as far as I'm concerned in terms of marketing my tool I mean you know I, I haven't really sort of got there yet um, but you know hopefully hopefully I can I can start it uh, and it can be fairly organic um, well they say organics the best mm. um, and then and 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 then and then see what I go but like at this stage I'm sort of just testing the functions that I think my users mm -hmm. will need after after testing I could you know it uh, it it could turn out that that my users don't need the functions and then you know it could be well that I that I turn it into that I turn my business model in a in a b2b you know I could sell to suppliers and so on uh, do you think people underestimate sometimes the value as well of talking to other suppliers that mm -hmm. they think sometimes oh I I dare not talk to other suppliers for fear of letting the cat out of the bag or them maybe stealing my idea or running with it. Do you think there's actually more value in whether that be an interactive app that could link with the AV company at an event or 
talking to suppliers within the industry and saying, look, here's what I'm going to do. What skills would you be looking for if you were sourcing people? Mm. Do you think that people are a bit too afraid sometimes of sharing their information and engaging with other suppliers, not necessarily organisers, suppliers? Yeah, I I, I don't think it's about being afraid. I think it's about patches and territory and things like that. Mm. And especially in the hard tech companies, you know, they are established... Uh, incredibly important element into that whole production Mm -hmm. and the event tech are the new kids on the block and in in a way they you know if 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 you're a big uh, hard tech company you've invested millions and millions into uh, products and you're updating those products on buying new lights new speakers whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be with tech companies are slightly different you build something and you improve it but you're not making the same investment year after year like the (coughs) excuse me the hard tech companies so yeah, it's about patches and territory. Yeah, but I, I still think, and sorry to cut across you, I still think that this is a really small industry. Um, as far as the hard tech goes, and and speaking in terms of production, uh, uh, there are companies out there that are making breakthroughs in 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 um, screen technology, and we've seen them at exhibitions Absolutely. and stuff. But and so I mean, you know, I think. I think they do talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you only need to go to th- go to a few networking events in the industry, and you will see most of the time the same faces. I think I think they actually do talk to each other. There is a differentiation. I've noticed it in in a number of, of events. And you look at something like um, Event Tech Live, for example. The audience that goes there is very very different to any other trade event mm. that takes place within the event industry. So there is almost this. Um, invisible line isn't there between the event tech community and then the rest of the events industry where in actual fact surely we should be at a point now where things are actually coming a little bit closer together oh um it's funny this i was um i was at event tech live and it was my first one and i loved it and i met some incredible people and again thanks to one of the panels james was on i went around and met everyone that was on the panel and just after that, I was, t- I was talking to someone and someone said to me, um, did you notice the different audiences, this compared to whatever the most recent thing was to that? And I think it might have been IMAX um, in Frankfurt or, or something like that. And I said, no, I, d- I must be honest, I didn't really. And he said, there's a huge difference. You call any agency right now, just call someone. So I picked up the phone and I called Zybrant. How are you doing? What's the question? And my friend, who I will not mention, said, ask them who Julia Solaris is. And I said, do you know who Julia Solaris is? And they said, never heard of him. He said, put the phone down. I said, okay. Now, ask anyone in this audience who Julia Solaris is. I went over to the first person, who was actually a Dutch girl who was just on the panel. So you know who Julia Solaris is? And she said, oh, absolutely, he does the, the blog. And he said, that's the difference in audience. It's a different magazine they read. It's a different thing they listen to. It's, it's a very different audience. Now, I as I said, I didn't know enough to even know that. But he did. He definitely could pick up the difference in a, an expo crowd and a travel crowd and an event tech crowd. And I think it's back to the adoption rate as well. Sure. So, yeah, you've got all the techie developers and the UI guys and the cloud guys. Then you've got the people like us who are from the events industry who are doing event tech. And then you have people in companies that know a lot about event technology. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Wallace at DRP, for example, knows everything about event technology and that's his job there um, but then there might be somebody in a, in a, in a venue that's just doing the booking register yeah. and they know nothing about event, event technology so it's all about adoption it's about education and that's really up to the event tech sector to sort out mm. 
I, I should ask what's as we were sort of coming towards the end of time but um, looking at Event Tech Lab just for a moment James and and what's happening with it at, at the moment who are you working with that's new what what are the common issues that you're helping to tackle or to resolve or to assist with with uh, some of the organizations that you're currently working with um, the there's two general themes there is adoption of their technology sure, yeah. and getting users and so we aid them with exposure visibility and stuff like that and the second one is about funding because obviously uh, there's a lot of bootstrapping in this industry and um, for anybody who doesn't know what that means it's basically you're paying for it out of your own pocket working in your backyard or back back office or living room um, and there's a lot of that going on and these two guys know exactly what that's about because <laughs> yeah. uh, they've been doing it for a while um, and it's sort of getting to the next funding stage and actually um, uh, that is, is, is another issue and that's one that Event Tech Lab is working on with other people in the events industry to, to um, try and sort that out. Um, so yeah, we should have some news there. Well, I, I think it's important that, that, that James has touched on funding um, and it, you know, it, it's got, it should be addressed even, it, it, albeit briefly, um, as we're coming towards the end of time, but it's, it's got to be funded. There's a lot a man can achieve with a laptop, a good internet connection, sitting on his sofa. In, yeah. But there's only so much that he can achieve when he ultimately wants to take that step from it being an idea on his laptop or her laptop mm -hmm. to becoming a business. And if you haven't got the money behind you to go and pursue that, it, it, that's when a lot of people can stop. Because mm -hmm. if they don't know where to turn to, what are they going to do with that idea? Um, okay. Um, so... I, I like how you said okay, like, okay. oh, it's fallen on right, me, okay. let me, let me yeah, take no, this thanks. one. Um, <laughs> I think these days you can't have a conversation without tech, without mention, mentioning Eric, Eric Reese's lean, lean startup. Now, that's a totally different conversation, but, but Eric Reese's uh, lean startup model is about creating an MVP, which is a minimum viable product, a product with as minimum function, functionality as possible so you can test it. You test it, then you learn from uh, the testing, then 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 you go and m make the changes necessary so that you can move on. Um, I am I am uh, following the lean startup model by, by not by choice, but because I have to because I don't have the funds. Uh, uh, James said that I'm that that we are boot bootstrapping it. We are absolutely sure boot uh, strapping it so for me it's about you know I've uh, created something hopefully from Monday uh, I can start to get some feedback hopefully it's good feedback but if it's not good fa feedback that's fine uh, you know it's all about iteration uh, learning from it adapting it and then sending it back out to your early adopters so I haven't quite gotten to the stage where I'm knocking on doors sure you yeah. know uh, yeah cap in hand but uh, hopefully in the next sort of couple of months I will be. Have investors become more savvy to this particular industry Jason so if you can actually just persist enough to get your product not necessarily to market but to the point where you have it operational in beta and and ready to show and demonstrate what it can do mm. are people becoming more knowledgeable at this from an investment point of view? Definitely um, I've, I've done nothing but investment meetings for the last three weeks. And what I didn't know, which I wish someone had told me, is funding is a job unto itself. Mm. You stop everything. You're not picking up clients anymore. You're not beta testing. You're not MVPing. You are literally going 
to VCs and angels and seed investors and finding out about SEIS and EIS and, and all these terminologies. And, and it's, it's an entire new world of commerce. And in some ways, financiers and investors and seeders and whatever are very excited about the events industry because they hear these amazing numbers, $40.1 billion, 44.2 billion euros, 40, you know, these massive numbers. But no one seemed to be able to prove the numbers. And that's what the investors keep coming back to me and saying is, it sounds great, we can see it working, but where are these numbers? Show us. Show me one, and you know, you go to, I'm just gonna use the example of London Partners, not that it is London Partners, London Partners. And you say, give me these actual figures. I wanna see the finance numbers, word for word, line for line, broken down in territory, area, country, space. It doesn't exist. Mm. And I had a great conversation with David Adler from BizBash magazine, and he said the same thing. He said, these are amazing numbers that gets us all jumping up and down. But where are they? Where are the physical? And when it comes to these, these seed investors, and maybe my number's too big at the moment, maybe it's not, maybe it's too small, in fact. Someone told me when I was in LA, it's way too small. Um, they're going, no, no, it's, it's a, an industry we not, I don't know yet of anyone that's become a unicorn out of it. One of our friends has a company called Fat Unicorn, big shout out. And his <laughs> hope is that he'll be the first unicorn in this. And what I have heard, what I keep hearing from all my funding conversations is the Filled of Dreams concept. Build it and we will come. You know, if it, you build it and you get 100 clients, we'll come in with the money because you've got proof of concept. Mm. You've gone through your beta testing mm. and, you know, you, you've come back on a bit of a power strength. You're not, you're not coming from a position of weakness as in I have this idea I have a laptop I have broadband give me something but actually I've built a product I have a market I've got client acquisition I've got cost of client which is a big thing in LA I found and San Francisco with this whole clack mm. um, and then we'll come with the money and I think well, uh, the other thing worth pointing out just on the numbers there saying 42.3 billion is the current estimate of the UK events industry and that is an estimate and it has to, it has to be adopted by the DCMS and London and partners and people like that. The, um, the uh, Conference Industry Council in the US estimates the world uh, uh, events industry is worth between 300 billion and 500 billion. I mean that's a huge, huge number. It's bigger again, than cars. Yeah, I know. But it's, it's <laughs> again, it's an estimate and the problem is is that on a yearly basis, um, the governments around the world measure their economies, and they have something called standard industrial codes. Mm -hmm. Okay, and a, a, an industry is measured via those codes. Uh, we don't have a code for the events industry. We don't have any occupation codes. Well, we have three occupation codes for the events industry: event manager, venue manager, and exhibition manager. And all of us around this table know that there's a lot more occupations in the events industry than yeah. those three codes. So um, uh, th that is a problem in how to measure the industry and having official Office of National Statistics mm. measurements because um, of, of the problems with the coding in terms of the economy. So these estimates that Jason are talking about, these are compiled by people who are event industry based uh, MPI have done studies, mm -hmm. Leeds Beckett's University's done studies, uh, the BVEP has done studies on these numbers, and they have to ma make a guesstimate. And they are quite accurate, I think. If you look at the methodologies behind that research, they mm -hmm. are trying to make the best the best guess. And I think that is a, is a whole other episode in itself, talking about the measure, measurement of economic impact mm -hmm. and, and, and how we actually start putting that into a more structured um, structured way 
and creating a more structured industry out of what is already a, a glowing industry. Um, we need to wrap it up there. We should point out uh, and say thanks to London's newest uh, road engineering <laughs> startup <laughs> that, have, that, that have chosen to join us uh, during this episode. So apologies to anybody who can hear the incessant uh, road digging going on in the background, but hey, that's the joy of coming to a central London location uh, to do the podcast. We should thank our guests before we wrap up. James Morgan from Event Tech Lab, uh, Jason Allen Scott from Venue Me, and Jared Bishop from Event Profinder. We're going to be tweeting uh, links via the at Talking Events Twitter account to all three of those organizations and companies so that if anybody wants to follow up and get in touch with you guys directly, they can do. There are loads of Event Tech Lab events taking place 29th of february is the next one 29th of february is the next one um and loads of events so if you're a startup listening to this and you want to get in touch with the event tech lab or go along to one of their events loads of help for you out there um it leaves me to say thank you for tuning in you can subscribe to the podcast via itunes you can watch the podcast on the event industry news website you can also subscribe to the event industry news youtube channel thanks very much and you've been listening to talking events mm-hmm.